Welcome to the Dojo, the podcast where we turn marketing news into marketing tasks. This week we'll hear three stories, including one from our special guest. We'll pick the best one and turn them into tasks that you can complete today to improve your marketing and get better money for your business. I'm Dale. I'm Jess. I'm Tim. And welcome to the Dojo. And this week we're joined by a very special guest indeed. We're joined by Andy Tuxford, our head of SEO. Hi, Andy. Hi, Dale. So I'm Andy. For those of you that haven't seen me before, on uh, I've been on a few podcasts. For those of you that haven't seen me before, I'm the head of SEO at Exposure Ninja. I've been working in SEO now for oh, too many years, about eight, nine years now, I think it is. Um, mainly at Exposure Ninja. And it's great to have you. I'm sure your introduction was perfect, but probably wasn't as high in praise for yourself as I could be, because I think you're a terrific SEO. And I think our, our clients are incredibly uh, fortunate to have you running our SEO team. Um, but that's not what we're here for today. We're actually here to hear some stories. So I'm going to ask each of you to share your uh, story. Um, but first, let's hear what your title of it is, Jess. So mine is all about how privacy is growing tighter and a cookie-less future looms. What can marketers do to prepare? Mm. Andy, what's your story this week? Mine is the DMA is only one month away, well, slightly less than one month now. Um, so you need to take action now or potentially lose your data. Dun, dun, dun. And Tim, <laughs> what's your story for this week? I wanted to talk about Pinterest's announcement of their new Google Ads integration and what this could mean for marketers, particularly e-commerce spectacular well i'm kind of scared now by andy's story so i'm gonna to have to pick you first andy tell us more about that one okay so for those of you that haven't heard about it the dma or the digital markets act is some new legislation by the eu which is coming into effect on the 6th of march 2024 so not too far away so um obviously being the eu it only affects businesses that um, operate in the eu uh, and the uk but um uh, how, it, how it's working, where you may not have heard it, is it doesn't directly impact um, most, the vast majority of businesses. What it impacts is what is known as gatekeepers, which the EU have designated gatekeepers, which are um, big, business, big internet platforms that essentially are so big that they are um, required almost to use the internet. So the ones impacted are Alphabet, who are the owners of Google, Amazon, Apple, ByteDance, who own TikTok, Meta and Microsoft. So what it actually means is what's coming in is it's, it's almost an extension of GDPR. So what it is, is it's a lot of legislation that's coming in on these businesses that basically mean they need to play fair on the internet. They're not allowed to favor themselves. They've got to treat people equally. They're not allowed to block you from seeing competitors or uninstalling things, things like that. But one of the big things and the big thing that will impact you as a business is, um, and I want to get this right, make sure I get the wording absolutely right. So there's a big list of do's and don'ts, what they can and can't do. And one of the don'ts is specifically they cannot track end users outside of the gatekeeper's core platform service for the purpose of targeted advertising without effective consent having been granted. So that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> so, but essentially what it means is they are not allowed to manage data that tracks users unless that user has specifically given consent. So if you're familiar with GDPR, which hopefully you should be if you're managing a website online, you might be thinking, well, how's that different from GDPR? Because GDPR means you can't track users unless they give consent. The difference being 
Now, these platforms are responsible for it. They have to, they cannot process data that is not GDPR compliant. Whereas GDPR, it's the website that is accountable because they're the ones tracking the data and they're the ones using the data. It's just passing through these platforms. Now, these platforms can't process the data. They have a responsibility to make sure people aren't using their platforms in a non-GDPR compliant manner. So if you're not GDPR compliant, that means your data can't pass through them or they have a liability if it does. These platforms aren't definitely aren't going to want these kind of liabilities. Um, we, because it's an indirect impact, we don't know exactly what they're going to do. I would say it's a pretty fair bet that if you are not GDPR compliant, they're just going to turn you off on like ads, analytics platforms. They're just going to basically stop and disappear. So, um, so that's why it's a big thing. Because obviously, marketing, you need your data. You can't market effectively without analytics. Um, you definitely you can't run AdWords without Google Ads. <laughs> you can't run your Google Ads without AdWords. So. Um, yeah, you absolutely got to make sure you are compliant. If you are not compliant and not managing it effectively, then um, that data could disappear and those accounts could get blocked and disappear and then you're going to have real problems. There's not anybody getting their hands on my data. No way. I'm sorry. That stuff is way too precious for me, as uh, Jess will be able to attest. Um, I'm kind of wondering about like business owners and marketing managers, what they may be thinking after hearing this quite you know significant news. They're going to have to do something about it. What what would you suggest? Like, what, what's the starting point for it? Yeah, yeah. So if you're outside the EU and you don't have any customers from the EU, you don't need to worry about it because it's EU legislation. So specifically, though, it is if you have traffic to your website from the EU, you are liable. The way they've the way they've written the EU have written the um, the written the legislation is it applies to the personal data of any EU or UK citizen. So if you're an EU or UK citizen, you go to an American website. That website has to comply by that legislation with your data. So if you get traffic from the EU or UK, it applies to you. If you don't, you can ignore it. If you are 100% you are GDPR compliant, you can ignore it. Now I say 100%, make sure you are sure because it is very rare that I find a website that is actually complete, properly GDPR compliant. It is rarer than you would imagine. Most of them is little minor things. It's not major. They're not going to be getting fines from the um, Information Commission's office and things like that. They might just get a letter saying, oh, tweak this or change this, but they're not actually compliant. So um, keep an eye on that. The, so the way to manage it is you need to make sure that none of your data is going to these platforms unless a user has specifically consented to say it can go. Um, so that can be managed manually, which is a bit of a pain and is very resource heavy and is going to be very difficult to manage. The easiest way and the way I'd advise to do it, by far the easiest way is to use something called a CMP or a consent management platform. So there's a few ones out there and the way they work is basically they take care of your cookies all for you. You get, you get an account with them, they scan your website, they tell you all the cookies that are on your website, what they do, who they do them for, gives you a big long list and gives you a nice cookie consent banner. Most of them have multiple options, so you can choose your style, etc. You drop it on your website and it just manages all your cookies or your tracking cookies for you. Well, the best part about these is they integrate with analytics and through Tag Manager. So if you're familiar with Google Tag Manager, um, there's a new um, mode in that called consent mode that Google have made, which integrates these platforms into it. So what it does is it stops your tags from gathering data that they're not allowed to gather 
based on the user's cookie consent status. And it adjusts the data it gathers based on their exact cookie consent status. So if they accept some cookies, but not others, it will adjust what data it gathers. Um, where they really have an advantage, in my opinion, over doing it manually, is if you do it manually, you've basically got to block everything. If, you, if they don't consent to cookies, you've basically got to block it, you get no data, which is terrible from a marketing perspective. Um, the way these CMPs work is they anonymize the data. So even if they've not accepted cookies, you still get some data through because it's, it's just anonymized, takes out all the personal data. So it's still GDPR compliant, but you still get some data. So it maximizes your data quality whilst remaining GDPR compliant, which is what every marketer wants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jess, I'm not going to come to you on this one because you're just going to mock me in my use of, you know, my love for data. So, uh, Tim, I'm really curious what you're thinking of in terms of uh, a business owner, because you, of course, over the years have spoken many times to business owners, marketing directors, directors about GDPR. How is this? How do you think uh, business owners are going to be thinking and feeling about this one? I've got a feeling it's one of those things that people just aren't going to be aware of. And most websites aren't going to have a plan for this. And it's just, they're going to be hearing it now for the first time, despite the fact that this legislation is what a year old, maybe more, um, six, six months. So, um, okay. Yeah, well, it'll be six months on the 6th of March cause they have a six month window to implement the 6th of March is when it comes in. So, yeah. I mean, the you know the, the the potential fines for these um, these gatekeepers are like ten percent of annual revenue, which you know is going to be tens of billions of dollars for, for some of these firms. So I can't believe that this is going to be the sort of thing that they're just going to ease in gently. This seems like it will be a hard a hard deadline. I think I don't know. My my opinion as a consumer is this is you know it's more it's more sort of cookie pop up type stuff which has basically just been a, a massive annoyance. I don't know how many, I'd love to see the heat map stats on people clicking just mindlessly accept on all the cookie pop-ups and whether people actually consider that to be a benefit to their privacy over the annoyance of having to remove all these pop-ups when they land on a website. But I, I think on the other hand, there are parts of the DMA that do make a lot of sense for consumers and will lead to greater choice. And, and this is a, it's a much larger piece of legislation than just the, the sort of the cookie side of things which I think on the whole is probably positive, but this certainly this piece feels like an annoyance and I expect it will feel like an annoyance for a lot of website owners. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it, it's a good thing. It's, it's an ethical thing to do in order to make sure that people have their privacy and the kind of data handled in the best way. But yeah, sure, certainly isn't going to come with a bit of time necessarily dedicated to getting this all sorted out if they haven't already. Jess, how do you feel about this? Would you rather deep dive into it or keep it at a bit of a distance? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, where you can see where the benefit is for consumers. But at the same time, I always like to see this from the consumer point of view. And part of me likes in targeted ads, like, and likes getting information that's relevant to me. Like, I wanted to get some new gym wear. So all I have to do is go on Gymshark, and then I get everybody advertising to me. I've got so many different gym leggings to choose from, all totally too expensive, and I can't believe they charge that much. <laughs> but at least I've got options. And I mean, when I go on websites, I do, when that cookie thing pops up, I'm like, do I really want these folks chasing me around the internet? And then if I don't, I'll say no. And if I'm not fussed, then I'll say yes. Because sometimes I do actually want that little reminder. You know, I'm forgetful. I am the the consumer that forgets stuff and needs remarketing too. So from a consumer perspective, I definitely see the benefits. 
Um, but I can also see that actually, I think it, in the end, we're all going to end up with really irrelevant adverts and we're going to get really annoyed by it. I think we need to find a middle ground so that when I like mention a brand, I don't suddenly get out of it. That's a bit strange. But at the same time, I don't want everything to be totally irrelevant to me. Yeah. What about maybe we should start a new uh, browser and a new ad platform, which either pays you to use it or gives you a discount on all the purchases that you make by collecting maximum amounts of data. So you have to fill in a questionnaire about your usage habits. You have to tell it what you like. You have to give it so much data. You know, you could hook up access to your emails, but in return, you get your products cheaper because we're able to laser target you with ads much more effectively than anyone else can in this post cookie world. Is I would your actually new, love your that. New business plan. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thinking we should call it Exposure Ninjanet. That's my plan. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people would appreciate that. And Dale, sorry, you were just saying that you would actually really enjoy a really targeted experience. Like, please share. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I'm like you. I'll look for an item and then, you know, I'm, part of me kind of hopes that I'm going to get other suggestions. And those other suggestions tend to come in completely different platforms. So you know, I'll be on Google and I'll search for products and I'll look at a shopping ad more than likely because there's that image, the visual, and I'll be drawn to it. I'll go onto the website and then I'll be on Instagram the following day and I'll get a similar suggestion because I've been over there onto the website. People are blah, 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 blah. But I actually really love that because it makes me shop around a bit more. It helps me develop like a better sense of like, well, wait, I'm comparing this against that without even getting to that part in the funnel of, well, let me start to compare. I'm going to make a list of all the similar products. I'm going to choose which one best, depending on which has the best features, which one cost me best, which one has the shipping thing. To have like suggestions come up to me makes my life a lot easier. Like I like when I open Google's discovery on my phone and it says, do you want to look at this item? Because it knows I've looked at similar ones. Like I actually really like that because otherwise I'm not going to know about it. Like I, I bought a camera recently because I'd looked at something similar. I'd looked on one website for this camera and then Instagram said, hey, you might like this really hipstery camera. And I bought it and it turns out it's terrible. But like it looks great. It like, it, it, you know, the targeting really, really helps. So I'm a big fan and it does. And Tim's point about like have a website or a browser where you can just sign off and say, target me as much as you want. Reminds me that just recently I read that there's a brand new thing called the Enhanced Games, which is the Olympics with steroid usage and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It has nothing to do with marketing, but it just popped in my brain that somebody's finally decided that, do you know what? We should see how fast people can run by like <laughs> feeling up the eyeballs with you know, enhancements and stuff. Anyway. Yeah, let's see how much pressure the human leg bone can take. <laughs> Let's see how, how low we could get CPA on Jess's leggings if we knew everything <laughs> about that, if we knew everything about Jess and all of her preferences. There was mm. one browser called Brave, um, which did, like, I think, I don't know how it works, but like, there was a payment kind of system where it would, instead of showing you ads, it would pay publishers um, for having people visit their websites. The, the problem is people don't, they have to go out there and choose that. They, ha they have to go and choose that experience. Whereas what people actually want is just to be shown it because that's part of what we're used to. And changing that is kind of breaking how people shop in a way. It doesn't, I don't know. We're, we're, it's been 30, 40 years of the, of the internet. We're 
pretty used to ads and we're not that opposed to them now, especially the better targeting you know, that there has been over the years. I think making them worse is just going to annoy people, So, as, as Jess said. Um, speaking of Jess, it'd be great to know uh, what your story is for this week. Tell us more about yours. Mine's actually so related to Andy's, so apologies for that. But I suppose it kind of talks about it on a more... It's not just talking about the one legislation. It ties in very nicely. So actually, thank you, Andy, for including that. So we're getting... Well, I say, I feel like this gets brought up every year and I go, oh, we're getting closer and closer to no cookies. And then Google's like, actually, we're going to extend. We haven't decided yet. We're just going to extend. We're just going to extend. Um but the plan is that they want to get rid of third-party cookies. That doesn't mean that they'll be getting rid of their own, may I just add. So you'll be golden if you're using Google Ads or you know, that kind of thing. Anything in their network, YouTube, all that stuff, you're going to be having a great time. Um, but it could potentially restrict you if you're collecting data on your website about your audience in order to make informed decisions, check that your target audience is actually coming to your website, which can sometimes happen. But realistically, I think what marketers need to be doing is finding ways to get first party data where you can. So not just relying on analytics and all these other places where you're grabbing cookies from. So you can do this, especially via your mailing list. This is absolutely fab. Um, and you can get people on said mailing list with things like genuinely helpful ebooks, tools, or just having a really, really great newsletter. And you can use that newsletter to learn a bit more about them. So we have a client who we recently did um, some really exciting email work where we basically sent them a couple of introductory emails and sent them another email where it was like, are you this type of person, this type of person, or this type of person? And then that helped us find out a little bit more information about them. And then we could send them really targeted emails so that they're not just getting emails that just are irrelevant to them and they're having to filter through them to get to the stuff they want. They're actually getting the information that they like. And this was based around skill level as well. And because of that, you really wanted to send them, you know, some very specific information um and that's why yeah it's it just makes your life so much easier to have first party information um you can also make use of things like basket abandonment or browse abandonment for your ppc so you can sort of have a bit of that data um and also google meta microsoft and all those folks already have a lot of data themselves that they've got about their own users so you can kind of run your ads in those spaces i'm not sponsored just saying but you can run <laughs> ads in those spaces based on the data they have about their users it's just going to make things like retargeting more challenging which is why you kind of want to capture them with that email sign up as soon as you can and you also will need to pay more attention to the places that your audience are actually spending their time, whether that's advertising on certain websites. Like if you know your audience spends most time on Reddit, for instance, discussing products like yours, you may want to actually invest in Reddit ads, but you might find that they read loads. So you want to go for digital PR, or maybe they spend all their time on social media and TikTok. So you want to be on TikTok. So there are definitely a lot of places that you can put yourself and ways around this, um, that means that you're not just going to be left in the dark, but you need to start prepping now. You can't just wait till the cookies are gone and then just be like, oh, wait, we don't have any emails. And we were just contacting everybody via ads. So that's my story. Awesome. Tim, <laughs> Tim, you advocate for email, um, email collection, email automation and stuff like that. What kind of opportunities do you see in here uh, when it comes to you know gathering this first 
party data with with our own um, free marketing review, which you can get by going to exposureninja.com forward slash review, and we'll review your website and your marketing and see which opportunities you have um, to get the very best out of your marketing. So exposureninja.com forward slash review. Tim, we've been gathering that kind of information, first party data, figuring out where people are coming from. What kind of opportunities do you see most of the time that people are missing? Is it this question of where did you come from or is there something else to it? Um, I, don't, I think, to be honest, a lot of websites just aren't really set up for picking up emails that aren't direct inquiries. And I think that's that's a huge opportunity. Um, we've seen, you know, you'll often see a blog that generates huge volumes of traffic. And by, I don't just mean a blog post, I mean an entire blog section on the website that generates the vast majority of organic traffic to that site. And yet the only calls to action are commercial, inquire now, make a booking, whatever. And if you think about the intent and the user journey, that likelihood is that if people are looking for information, they're not going to be ready to book now or buy now or whatever. But there's no sort of secondary CTA, which has a, a lower commitment bait for people um, to, to, to sort of to get that data. So I think I hope this is going to force more people to, um, to to think about that type of thing. But I also think this might not change that much. Um, you know, Meta, I think people don't really give Zuck a Meta enough credit around this but when ios 14 came out and people don't give zuck any credit at all he's it's basically a pants mind villain but when when ios 14 came out there was a you know the predicted death of facebook's ad revenue was sort of universal this is it you won't be able to track conversions all of that stuff and with the ai sort of modeling that, they, that they've produced actually I, I don't think many advertisers have really felt a long-term effect at all um, and whilst Meta's ad revenue took a dip in uh, in 2022, it's way back up again in 2023. So I feel like this is something where AI modeling is going to help um, sort of fill in some of the gaps that the, the, the advertisers and, and marketers have um, without these without these third party cookies. But honestly, also, I don't know how Google's going to even enforce this end to third-party cookies. I know they want to force people into the privacy sandbox, but if we think about what the DMA, the Digital Markets Act that Andy's been talking about, that's their design to not give a platform an unfair competitive advantage. And that's exactly what Google is trying to do with their privacy sandbox, where they can benefit from all that tracking data, but they can then regulate and decide which other cookies to exclude. Um, I, 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 I can't see how those two things are consistent. This seems completely inconsistent to me, but that's one for the CMA to sort out. Do you know what? I can't help but think that the topic of privacy and data collection and all that kind of stuff must feel pretty boring uh, for many people, like many marketers, many business owners. Um, so I wouldn't mind kind of looking for the, the fun element of it. Um, uh, so Andy, I'd like to come to ask you a little bit more before we uh, come to Tim's story, uh, which was, I feel maybe uh, related to all of this. But what are the kind of like fun, exciting part of data collection and tracking and, and you know, all this kind of stuff that marketers can not only look forward to do it, be doing, but also, and more importantly, gain something from? Like what, what can they do this fun and is going to increase their traffic, increase their leads, increase their rankings, um, and so on. 
I'm not sure I'd describe it as fun. <laughs> it's not fun for most people, I don't think. Um, I'm not sure how you classify it as fun, but what can they do as fun um, to improve their rankings and um, get better data? Um, I think the the best way to get better data is you've got to you've got to give them a reason to give you your data. More and more users are rejecting cookies. You can see it in the data. You gain more, you get those blank spots where people are rejecting the cookies are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like just saying, cookieless future is coming. It's coming at some point because well, at some point, if it keeps on going the way it is, there's just going to be nobody accepting cookies. So it's um, so you've got to give them a reason to give that data to you. And I think um, some of it's overcoming um, misconceptions. I mean, a lot of people, when you start talking about privacy and tracking, companies get some mental images of marketers in dingy rooms, like, oh, John Smith was on this website for 20 minutes. And it's like, they're, like they're, they're literally following a person around the internet. Uh, you know, it doesn't work like that. It's all about trends and groups and everything. And the, the marketers don't get the individual information. It's all, uh, all aggregated and so on. But you've got to give them a reason to something that they want to interact with. And um, the way the legislation is being written, you've got to give them, it's got to have a reason for them to give, you can't just say, we'll give you this in exchange for your data. There's got to be a reason for them giving you your data. You can't sort of, um, bribe them into it like oh give us your data and we'll give you a five pound discount or something like that and that's, uh, you're not allowed to do that you've got to if they share their data with you there's got to be for a reason so you need to find something that um, some way of interacting with them that they are going to want that also means they share their data with you hmm. i'm curious tim and jess what kind of ideas you have of convincing people to want to be cookied or to, to, to want to be tracked that aren't necessarily like the typical ways that we would do it, like uh, ebooks and things like that. I've got to say, the question that you just asked Andy was probably the most difficult question in the history of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Andy. I truly am. Fair play, fair play, Andy. You styled that out well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, fair play. I think, I don't know, I think there are some opportunities around things like, I mean, scorecards have been around for ages, but, you know, since the early days of, I was going to say that the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal showed how willing people are to give their personal data in return for some scorecard, which gave them some, you know, which Muppet are you or whatever. And I think opportunities for things like scorecards where you're offering people a, a playful way to share info with you could be could be a nice way to go. Um, whether this is, you know, find your perfect skincare routine from the the ordinary website or, or, you know, whatever, really. I think, yeah, may, maybe something around that. I think, well, if we, if we trust capitalism and we trust entrepreneurship, we, will de- we marketers will develop new and exciting ways to capture people's first party data in ways that are today inconceivable. And then in five, 10 years time, we'll be having exactly the same conversation once the EU have decided to clamp down on those new ways because they're too effective. So. I, I believe in us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You advertisers and marketers with a goal. Yeah, don't mess with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Jess, you have any ideas of things that businesses and marketers can do in order to kind of gain that trust that people want to be tracked in anyway? Yeah. I mean, I have an example and something as well that made me think of it was how um Tim said about like how meta has so much data like people run to facebook to share their brand new life event 
or to share like everything that's going on with them, their health problems, what they did today, what they ate for dinner. Like they have so much information. I just thought that was really interesting because they've like turned it into like a fun little thing to share with people. Um, but the, the business that I was thinking about when you were saying about making it fun is, and this is also partially because I'm, I really want a dog, but I can't have a dog. So I'm just going through the motions of planning one because that also <laughs> brings enjoyment. But the Purina website, they sell pet food and they have a quiz on their website, which is like, what kind of dog is right for you? And they ask you all these questions about like your lifestyle and what you do for your job and how long are you out of the house? So they find out like all this information about you and like, how much do you like walking and all these things. And technically they could use that info to then serve you up things on the website which is essentially what they do, right? At the end of the quiz, they'll be like, you need a corgi. And I'm like, amazing, love that. I want one of those right now. And then they'll give you a load of links being like, you know, if you if this is the dog for you, you need to read this guide. You need to join this mailing list for people who like dogs with short legs or herding dogs or whatever, you know, and on a lot of their blogs as well, they will have first days bringing your new puppy home. And then they'll be of join our mailing list specifically for people who just got a puppy or they will have another mailing list if you're talking about like how can I teach my senior dog to do a new trick when it's old and they'll have a blog about that and then at the end they'll say here's our mailing list for senior dog owners and then they send you all this stuff so I think like as much as that's not necessarily making the data collection fun it is also a fun way to engage your audience and find out loads of information about them that really benefits them but also could benefit you in the long run when they next visit your site. So that's it's that. absolutely fascinating when you think about how it all kind of comes full circle where it always comes back to email. Like if you can convince people to fill out a quiz and then at the end you say, well, there's more information to be shared. Here's your daily guide. Like I think you and I have talked about this, uh, uh, you know, choosing a dog before and how after you make a choice of the dog, they then email you. Okay. Here's your email about day one, what to do. We're, g- yeah. we're going to send you these. The same for like Pampers, huge company. They have similar stuff where you do a quiz or, you know, one of these um, parenting websites, they say uh, you fill it in and you want to understand like which part of the, the pregnancy you're at or which part of the after pregnancy you're at, after the birth. And they send you like, you're, you just started week seven of your new life with a, with a baby and stuff like that. Here's the things you need to know that is, uh, creates an opportunity to get people through to the site and then pop the you know the cookie on or whatever which i absolutely love but i think before we do come to tim's story i have one thing that we that we're all kind of semi-addressing and that's the one thing that can convince people to pick your website and accept cookies and data tracking all that kind of stuff whichever method it is where it's through like opt-ins and mailing lists and whatever is brand so if you have a really strong brand and you make people love what you do, whether that's through any of the different channels or social media networks or through search or through video, or whatever, you're slowly capturing people at the beginning of the funnel, end of the funnel, and they're getting to, used to your, the idea of your brand being really, really good or really knowledgeable or whatever at the thing that you sell or they sell or whatever. Like, and when we, we keep coming back to brand because of SGE is coming up, this surge generating experience is going to change how people use the web. Brand is going to be a big part of that. You're not going to see 
brands reference in the same way you're going to see a list of products you might choose and you think oh i don't recognize that brand but i do recognize that one i'll pick i'll pick that one i'll learn more about that one i'll probably buy it if you can enhance how your brand is kind of distributed and covered and spoken about you know the sentiment all that kind of stuff people will navigate and happily be opted into any of your marketing or in whichever form that is because they they built up a, a positive sentiment about it Tim, I'd love to know more about your story because I think you were saying something about Pinterest ads and this seems to be the ads podcast. <laughs> Let's hear more about that one. Uh, yeah, so uh, Pinterest had their earnings statement and um, their earnings missed uh, expectations and their stock dropped, but then the CEO busted out some news about a new Google ad integration and their stock went right back up. So um <laughs> It's, it's, it's the early days of this. We haven't had a play with it yet. We don't know what it's actually going to be like on a day-to-day basis. But the announcement is basically that Pinterest is going to allow advertisers to advertise on Pinterest through Google Ads. So they're integrating Google Ads with Pinterest. I think this is really exciting for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Pinterest has never been so popular. For a lot of people, it's just not on their sort of daily radar at all. But it's got almost 500,000 monthly active users, which puts it at a similar-ish sort of size to to X, formerly Twitter. Um, And what? Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off off stride there. How many many people? 498 million monthly active users. (laughs) that's unbelievable yeah Yeah. and i think the most interesting thing about those users from a marketer's perspective is that there's always been quite a lot of commercial intent with pinterest if you've ever had organic traffic coming from pinterest you tend to find it converts quite well because people are often looking at products right they're looking at things they're looking for inspiration so i think this integration if it i mean it we don't know how how great it's going to be but let's say for example that you're running shopping ads against you know cushions and you're showing up in a feed of people who are looking at cushions and like it's managed to work out that here are the cushions in this picture and here's your cushion ad you know that that is amazing right because that kind of um that that kind of uh, in context shopping-ish behavior and then just putting a shopping ad straight there could be super highly targeted potentially more highly targeted than you know regular google shopping ads in 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 the serp so i think this is really interesting they've had a similar sort of thing with amazon um and they haven't shared or not that i can find they haven't shared too much data about uh the the roi of this but their pinterest is using this to try and monetize their non-us visitors better uh, because they don't tend to make too much revenue from those non-US visitors. I think they're averaging around sort of one, it's around like one dollar twenty-five per user on average per year, which is obviously super low. So if this Google Ad integration can help them monetize those users a bit better, then it's going to really help Pinterest visibility. But I think this is this is really exciting, or potentially really exciting for e-commerce marketers, particularly for very visual products where they know their audience is spending time on Pinterest. So. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how this goes. Absolutely fascinating. Jess, are you much of a Pinterest user yourself? Yeah, I really am. The whole time, it was, it's really interesting to see all of your reactions when you're like, Pinterest? Who uses Pinterest? And I can tell you that my mum uses Pinterest, I use Pinterest, and all three of my little sisters, the youngest two is 14, use Pinterest. 
um, for all different things, you know. And I remember when I was like to my little sister, I was like, oh, when you go to the nail bar, like what, how do you know what nails you want? And she was like, Pinterest. And I was like, you use Pinterest? Uh, and I just thought that was really interesting. And also, I don't know if any of you are Pinterest users yourself, yourselves, but now when you, you are looking at like, let's say you're looking for house inspiration, you'll open up an image and you can click different parts of that image and it will take you to a product. So they're already using these really cool capabilities. And I'm much more likely to search if I want an image for something, so much more likely to search on Pinterest especially like as an artist, I look for all my art references on Pinterest. Very rarely do I use Google images. So I think Google are probably finding that maybe they're seeing less people visiting Google images or less people making purchases for Google images. I've noticed that loads of people buy from images on Pinterest and are like, we can just go, we can just connect here. So yeah, I think that's really, really cool. I think there's a huge audience there. And I think that, yeah, it could be, could be massive, really cool. I've got a stat for you on uh, on Pinterest demographics. So seventy. This is from a featured snippet on Google. So source not verified. Seventy two point six percent of female respondents in the UK said they were Pinterest users, compared to twenty one point seven percent of males. So this is a. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other social networks that have such a split like that. That is that is really wild. Andy, are you a Pinterest user? I am not, so no, don't use it. But um, it just struck me as Tim and Jess were talking there. What I think could be really interesting here is seeing how this integrates with Gemini. So I know um, in terms of how you see, I don't know how much you've seen of it in terms of Google launching their Gemini, their latest, at least the latest that I saw video in terms of how it used. It's using a lot of vision. Vid- visual search and using a lot of you know find me this or change this and it finds things for you Mm. with pinterest being a very visual platform it'd be interesting to see with that on the horizon with google and then this announcement uh is making me a a bit suspicious that there's possibly some kind of integration coming there from them yeah it'd be really interesting to see and there's one point uh, one part i'm thinking about from the SEO element of, of uh, Pinterest. I'm sure you remember a time where you know, a load of the first 10 results on uh, Pinterest, sorry, on Google search were like Pinterest results before it, Google brought in their kind of limit of two links per website you know, a couple of years ago. Like I remember five, maybe 10 years ago, it'd be just Pinterest, Pinterest, Pinterest as a result for everything. Is Pinterest as a website uh, for off-page SEO something that you consider when looking through um, our clients' campaigns, for example? Um, not too often. We don't. You don't tend to see it as much anymore in organic search. It tends to not be a big factor. Um, it still pops up in some things. Um, tends to be businesses with no web presence themselves. If things relate, they tends to, well, you also tend to get them, like you get their Facebook profiles and so on, all linked over and they've not really got any web presence themselves or something's gone horribly wrong in their SEO and they've disappeared. But um, you don't tend to see it too much in organic anymore. But I do, I remember what, exactly what you mean, Dal, when you're saying about it. It was, wasn't all that long ago when you, you'd search for, yeah, something and you'd literally get, five pages of Pinterest on page one. And um, so, yeah, I think um, I think the, um, what was it called? The diversity update was the name of it, wasn't it? Where they got rid, where mm. they limited it to, um, well, you still get more and sometimes, but it's pretty much one, maybe two, if you're lucky in, a, in the result. 
kind of I, I suspect that kind of Pinterest a little bit and um, really harmed their organic traffic that they were getting. It must have been really interesting to be in the SEO team at Pinterest during all of that. You were at the top of it. You're just like, you should see how much traffic we're getting from search. You must be like absolute champions. And suddenly, almost overnight, it's all gone. Oh dear. I think that perhaps maybe the, the way to look at Pinterest is that if you're running, um, if you're an e-com or you're selling something that is applicable to those kind of adverts, so you, you know, where your customer is likely to be using Pinterest, that you can use your Google ads and just push them a bit further into that, you know, into that, uh, market as well makes you know complete practical sense you might you've got literally nothing to use by just expanding it okay you're going to be paying more but you'll probably be reaching a better kind of customer anyway um but the other element for me is part of the funnel just understanding whilst you may not be getting people searching for this product whatever it is and seeing the search results pinterest is not going to be there it may be earlier in the funnel that they're actually looking at Pinterest when they're doing their research. Like Andy, I know that it wasn't all that long ago that you were buying a, a kitchen and you were doing yeah. it all up and stuff. I imagine that Pinterest may have had like an, a part to play in the decisions on like how that looks. There were probably products that, you know, like some of our e-commerce clients and you know, the people watching and listening uh, to our podcast, they're selling something where the earliest stages of information or just inspiration are on Pinterest and not on, you know, other pages. It may be a mixture of the top 10 uh, best designs for kitchens in 2024. That'll be on some home and leisure website. But it's going to be, people are going to be doing the same kind of searches on uh, Pinterest as well. So you might as well capitalize on it and be there. Uh, two. Excellent. Well, I'm going to um, choose a pick. It's really hard to pick a, the best story and to turn into TAS this week. I already decide. Um, I don't know. Group, what are we feeling? Which story stands out the most? DMA. You have to take action on it immediately, I think. Fair, fair. Okay, well, I hope you're prepared for the questions that come with it then. So, Tim, I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what tasks can business owners take from Andy's story about the DMA coming in force on the 6th of March? I think follow Andy's advice. Sort yourself out with a consent management platform. You know, all of this goes away for a low, low fee of $25 a month. You, you have to do this. There's no other option. Yeah, because the alternative is a huge, uh, huge fine, and nobody wants to pay for that. Well, black Just, hole in your own data, really. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, don't take any decisions when you're marketing without data. That's what I'm going to say on that matter. Jess, what task can marketing managers take from this story? The first task is to just not panic. You're not losing your data forever. And of course, as we said, it only impacts people who are either based in the EU slash UK or who have customers from those locations. But I would also definitely suggest looking into how much you're actually doing to collect first party data and then dial that up, basically, so that you are collecting your own data about the people that visit your website. And you can then use that to connect with them in a different way away from alphabet amazon apple ByteDance, meta and microsoft <laughs> myspace vivo the whole lot. yeah all of them <laughs> excellent okay well and i'm going to come to you now with a couple of uh quick fire questions if you don't mind here we go if you had just one hour to improve your marketing what would you work on um Probably social media marketing is probably the area that I know the least about as a marketer. So that's, um, I'd want to I'd spend my time there to sort of up my knowledge a bit on those areas. 
Uh, areas. Obviously, multiple different types <laughs> of social media. It's not just one thing. So, um, multiple areas. Our might not quite be enough, but um, yeah, I'd be. I'd try and up my skills in those areas. Right, great choice. What would you do with an infinite marketing budget? Oh, infinite marketing budget. Oh, um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> infinite marketing budget. Infinite marketing. Um, I, assuming if we assume it's an infinite marketing budget, where it's not going to stay infinite, I would basically trial everything and see what mm. got the best return. So when the infinite budget went away and it was a set budget again, I could push most. Of it. I could push into that. That's a superb suggestion. Best one yet, I think. Uh, which marketing skill would you recommend that the 18-year-old Andy works on and why? Um, oof, that's tough. Well, because um, obviously my background's in SEO, but SEO's changed so much over um, over the over the years. Um, I would probably recommend him working on um, what sort of general marketing principles. So understanding general marketing principles, how what makes people tick, how to because that's ultimately what marketing comes down to. You've got to work out what make, what your customers want, what makes them tick, what's valuable to them, and offer them that. So it, I'd um, advise him to spend some more time learning about that, focusing on that. I love that suggestion. That's superb. What are you most excited about in marketing right now? Um, it's probably been said a million times before, but at the moment, AI. I want to see what it does. I think it's got so much potential to do some really cool things. So um, uh, um, I know there's a lot of controversy in certain industries around AI, and you know, I get it. But you know, I think from a marketing perspective, well, it's it's got so much potential. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Last one. Who should we invite onto the podcast next? Oh, um, I'm going to nominate our head of accounts, Gemma. I think it'd be nice to get a, get a, a generalized, a more um, sort of um, top-level you know, marketing, um, all-round understanding. 100% agree. Yes, let's get Gemma on. Let's just every time I'm going to insist each guest says Gemma until Gemma comes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's superb. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insights when it comes to not just the DMA stuff, but also SEO, because you've done some fantastic work when it comes to SEO for our clients over you know, well, over a long period of time. So thank you so much for sharing. And we hope that you'll come back on again in the future. Um, Join us all next week where we're going to be joined by another uh, guest from probably our team as well. Um, in the meantime, if you haven't already, you should hop over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review request a free website marketing review of your business. We'll let you know exactly what you can do to increase your marketing performance. Thanks again and uh, see you again next time. Bye. Bye.